0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks.
1: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have a special guest in Mr. Nick Chapman, Principal and CEO of Southeast Family Housing. Before we dive in, I want to ask a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thank you so much for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Nick Chapman is a former U.S. Marine and state trooper turned commercial real estate investor. Nick transitioned into commercial real estate back in 2021 by acquiring a 26-unit apartment complex, and he converted all 26 units to midterm rentals for traveling nurses and corporate clients. Nick actively manages the apartment complex and was a former mobile home park broker for uh, Marcus Marcus and Millichap. Nick, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I've been following you a while and always love to value that provide listeners. So I'm uh, just thankful to be here.
1: Yeah, would you mind starting out by telling the listeners a little about your story and how you went from being a Marine to an active commercial real estate investor?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The short of the long of it is, I grew up in a really, really small town in Massachusetts. And I grew up lower, lower to middle class, but I was rich because my parents were still married and they really showed me what love is. And I remember from the very like early since I had a memory, my dad works at a print factory, and he would always come home his hands are like covered in ink, you know, just like covered in ink. And he works in the press, and he still works in the press. He still does that same job today. So just like him coming home and just really showing me like hard work, hard work, hard work. And I remember 2008 was really tough. My mom got laid off, and. She went and worked at the print factory and I have an older brother who's two years older than me. He graduated high school and went and worked at the print factory. So I was like, man, if you guys have taught me anything, I do not want to go work at this print factory. Like I will, there was so much pain related to graduating and going to work that, there was like, there was no way I was doing it, but my grades were terrible. I was a terrible student, the class clown. Give me a scenario. We'll crank it out but give me a test. Dude, I'm the worst when it comes to like academics. So I knew I didn't want to go to college because I had no clue what I wanted to do. I'd been monkeying around high school my whole life. And I wanted to get out of Gardner. I want to get out of Massachusetts. Gardner, Massachusetts was the town that I grew up in. So it was like, look, I can get out of here by enlisting in the military. I'll have four years to figure out what I want to do with my life. I'll be able to travel and get out of the small town where everybody worked at this print factory. I mean, it was a major employer and I'm sure you're buying deals that have like major employer, right? Where most people work there. So that's what I did. And I was, I've always been a big, go big or go home guy. So I was like, if I'm gonna enlist, I might as well join the best. So that's why I wanted to enlist in the Marine Corps. So I enlisted in the Marine Corps, got deployed, went all over, I actually got married when I was 20 years old, my wife was 19. So we got married really, really young and I just had my first daughter. So that's been a huge experience in itself. But going back to the Marine Corps, like I love the Marine Corps. Like you had rank structure. People told you what to do, when to do it, where to do it. There was never a question of like, what needs to get done? And I love that about it. But I saw my roommate on a deployment. He missed the birth of his child. And I'm like emotional just thinking about that. Like if I miss my daughters, like I was just like, and, I, and you, you kind of look up, right? Whenever you're at a job, you look up at your boss and you're like, I can't wait to be that boss. And I was like, I, I really don't want to be like a general. I don't want to like miss all of these memories, right? Like so important. So I did my four years, I got out and I loved it so much. And I remember getting out of the Marine Corps, they make you take like a test of like, Hey, what did you do in the Marine Corps? Like, well, I was a tanker. So like, well, all your skills that you related, you're going to be employable in the workplace. And here are a bunch of companies that would love to hire you, which is a great program, by the way. My test said you should be a truck driver because I drove a tank. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to be a truck driver. I don't want to live on the road, but I loved my country, the freedom. I really believe in America. So I was like, what better way to transition that I can go from serving my country to serving my community, being a police officer. Every day is going to be different. I'm going to be home every night. Like, even if I get off at one o'clock, at least I'm home and I'm not deployed in the middle of a desert somewhere. And you still had a uniform, you still had rank structure. So I love that. And It was a perfect bridge into what, like my dream job, like, if you asked me, like what my dream job was, I was like, this is it. Like I drove a charger, like I was top of the world arresting people. Like Think about how much power a cop has. Like you take someone's freedom away. Like, let's not downplay Like That's a big responsibility. So I loved that. But very similarly to the Marine Corps, I was a top producer. I was high octane, high protein, just hammering down. Like I had the most arrests, the most car stops in my troop. And I remember my supervisor sat me down one day and was it was 4th of July weekend. He's like, "You are on desk duty." You're sitting down in your you're on desk duty this weekend. And for those of you that don't know, 4th of July is like crazy. Like people are playing bumper cars, it's like domestic violence, it's like craziness, right? Like it's all to the walls and usually you get put on desk duty. If there's like an active investigation going on, like if you called someone a hole, they're going to take you off the road, take you off. the if you were on the news for some reason, like, all right, let's shelter this guy before, until we clear it and then we can put him back on the road. But I hadn't done anything. Well, it turns out I was bogging him down with paperwork because for every arrest I had was like eight page report plus the court paperwork. So I was, slamming this guy with paperwork. He's like, I got to catch up. So how can I do that? Well, I put Nick in office duty. And so I'm like, here I am. I'm like, why am I being punished for being a top producer? And that kind of opened my eyes up. That was like, kind of like step one. I was like, ah, this might not be for me because I knew like my boss, the Colonel of the state police was like, Hey, for every DYRS, for every arrest we get, we can use this and go to the state and get us raises. Like we can show the motoring public, right? Like, look how much, look what our troopers are doing. We need more troopers. We need raises. We need money for better cars and better guns. And so by giving them stats, we gave the governor ability to go and ask for us troopers to get paid better and get better equipment. But I'm like, I'm getting punished, even though I know my boss wants this. I'm like,
1: what is going on? So it seems, yeah, it seems like you have that meritocracy mindset, right? Like The harder I work, you know, the more I should make, the more opportunities I should get, you know, which would
0: be great in sales. Exactly. I met my neighbor because when you're a trooper, Andrew, everyone wants to be your friend, right? (laughs) Like your neighbor is like, Hey, my kid got a ticket. Like, can you help me out? Or like, what should I do? My brother-in-law got arrested. And like, everybody like wants a favor or like, Hey, I'm going on vacation. Can you just like drive by my house and make sure like, and I remember my neighbor has like this like huge house, dude, like incredible house. And like thinking to myself, like who lives there? Like, what do they do? You know, we're all naturally curious of the top wealthy people in the world, right? And this is a, by the way, this is a town of like 800 people. So like to have this huge house in such a small town in New Hampshire, long story short, he invited me to go snowmobiling one time. And of course I took him up on it. And, uh, I'm like, dude, like, I'm not asking as a cop, you know, we're sitting there in like sweatpants or, uh, snow pants and stuff. I'm I'm not asking as a cop, I'm asking as a friend, what do you do? And is it legal? Like, I'm just curious. And he's like real estate, but this guy didn't have like nice hair and teeth. So I'm like, you're not a real estate agent. Like, he doesn't seem like a, you know, you you know, a, a good broker on like million dollar listing in New York. And like, this guy just doesn't seem like he fits that bill. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I own real estate. He's like, I own 650 units. I'm like 650 units. Like, w- what do you, what do you mean? 650 units? He's like, well, I own mobile home parks, apartments, section eight, RV park, campgrounds, commercial. He's like, I built single family homes with an HOA exit. So this guy wasn't like, you know Andrew wow. Keel, who's just focusing on mobile home parks, right? Yeah. He's doing all different asset classes, which I think is really rare to find within real estate. Most people like go all in, whereas he was very much like, I'm going to diversify myself. I love real estate, but his thing was always cash flow. Like he always focused on the cash flow. So long story short, I was like, Look, will you teach me real estate? And he's like, Yeah, absolutely. And he gave me a list of books to read. And I think that everyone is naturally curious about real estate because they think it's like passive income in your sleep. Right. But I'm driving around, you have to remember, I'm driving around a cruiser for eight hours. So I'm just listening to these books while I'm getting paid on, you know, or I'm on desk duty, just like (laughs) listening to these books. And I was like, man, I understand this. I'm like, this is not for lack of a better term, like this isn't rocket science. And so I would go to him and I'd be like, hey, look, I don't understand depreciation. Like I couldn't wrap my head around what depreciation was for the longest time. And I think he liked that I was immersing myself because so many people, you know, Andrew, they want to get into real estate. They ask you and then you get on a call with them, at least in the beginning of your career, you probably got on a call with them. You told them all about how to do it and then they never do anything with it. You're like, well, why am I teaching these people. So I think he liked that I was taking action. And I paired that with the place that I was in with it relates to my workplace. And then COVID-19 happened. And also, I want to talk a little bit about like being a trooper, like I was going to domestic violences, I was pulling dead children out of car crashes. On my first week I cut down a 7-year-old who who hung himself like just like really messed up things that people don't really talk about. They don't really understand what police officers go through. I couldn't eat meat for one time because I had seen so much blood at one of the scenes like it just messes with you. And so when I paired all these things, COVID-19 really naturally sat everyone down and said like, "Well, what am I doing with my life?" And like, "Do I really want to do this for the next you know, 20, 25 years of my life. And I think it was really apparent to me that the answer was no for me. So naturally I I learned, but though I learned how to talk to people on the side of the road, like criminals, like if you think about, so that's how I got into, it was like a great bridge into sales. And that's why I joined the mobile home farm brokerage because I know I could sell. I was convincing people that I didn't know complete strangers to confess to me their worst crimes. Your deepest, darkest secret, like, you know, whether it was child, child P-O-R-N agraphy or sexual assault, mm. I had to sit across from the table and get this guy to confess to me. And what I learned is that a lot of what we use in interview interrogation is sales. And I could talk to anybody. I mean, if you can talk to someone like that, you can certainly talk to a disgruntled seven-year-old who owns a mobile home park and tells you to F off on a cold call, right? Cool. So that's really why, I guess, to, to to bridge into mobile home park investment, I know I've been talking this whole time and I apologize, but... No, I love it, man. I mean, you have a very interesting story. And like, I mean, I've
1: been following you a while as well on LinkedIn. So this is, this is super intriguing. But how did you go then? So you said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. How did you end up at Marcus and Millichap and then ultimately becoming you know a GP yourself?
0: Yeah, so... I talked to Kevin, who is my mentor, my neighbor here in this situation, and I said, "Kevin, if you could do anything, what like what's your favorite, most profitable asset?" Because you have to remember, he has RV parks, he has market rate apartments, he has Section Eight apartments, and he said, "Dude, my mobile home park prints money." He's
1: what like, "If I could question, do any," though. he's what like, great "If great I could do anything."
0: Yeah, yeah. Cuz I'm like I don't know where to go, right? I like the the books that he gave me was like Rich Dad Poor Dad, like a lot of the classics, like the OG classic real estate books. It wasn't like, "Hey, read this book about mobile home park investing." So naturally, I w- I knew I wanted to go into a niche. So I said, "Look, what is what, it, what if you could do it over, what would you go all in on?" And he's like without a doubt, like immediate answer was mobile home parks. <laughs> so naturally, I started immersing myself in mobile home parks. So when I left the state police, I moved to where I live now in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was stationed.
1: Up, yeah, how did you end up in Wilmington? And then, uh, I guess, what did you do to immerse yourself in mobile home parks? Because I, I'm kind of a a, a mobile home park junkie, if you will.
0: I mean, I, I love I'd say. That. Yeah, I would, I would definitely, uh, maybe go a step further than junkie for you, but yeah, no. <laughs> so when I was in the Marine Corps, I got stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina. It's a huge base okay. uh, for yeah. the Marine Corps. And my wife loved the weather here. So the whole goal was after the state police, we we're going to retire and move back to North Carolina. And we love Wilmington because. If you've ever been in the uh, military base, like everyone there is in the military. So you wanna kind of like get away from the military. You're like, dude, I, I'm sick of seeing these haircuts and everyone's a, a military spouse. Like, I just wanna get away for the weekend, right? Like, get me out of here. And Wilmington was an hour away from Jacksonville. So we like love this quaint little beach town. It was so nice, but it was kind of a quiet hidden gem. So we were always like, look, when the time comes, we're gonna retire, we love the weather, down here. It's so great. So that's how we, we found Wilmington. And, but when Kevin told me like without hesitation, like Andrew, he didn't even think about it. He was just like mobile home parks, like, like he was like most profitable, like not passive because let's all be honest here. Like passive income is bullshit. Like it's work. All of it is work, but he's like mobile home parks are the best model, right? Like if, As far as repairs and maintenance, as far as turnover, as far as lifetime value, like longevity of the customer, the tenant and repairs, mobile home parks was like the best model. So being a millennial, I'm on YouTube, I'm on podcasts, like whenever I get into something, man, I go a mile deep, like I'm like (laughs) immersing myself in every little detail. And I found Glenn Esserson's podcast. For those that don't know, Glenn is a huge mobile home park broker. And when I found out he's been, out, on, so he's I, been I, on. Yeah. The, the, yeah. He's, he's a the legend. Expert. He's been he's been on the podcast. He has a book. Yeah. Super, super knowledgeable guy. He's a legend. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Glenn. He's a lot of the reason that got me here and took a chance on me when I first got in. But turns out that I, I contacted Glenn naturally. And he lives in Wilmington. Turns out he lives in Wilmington. I saw it in like his email signature. You know how you have like Glenn broker. And it says like, your mailing address it was like Wilmington. I'm like, dude, what are the odds of that? So I was like, look, can I take you out to lunch? Like, can I take you out to lunch? And so that's kind of how I met Glenn. And he basically gave me an opportunity to join his team and basically start banging the phones. I mean, this was 2021. This was when Mm -hmm. the bull market of bull markets (laughs) were like, everything was like going crazy.
1: Wow. That is amazing. I, uh, Yeah, I have so many questions here. I I wrote a bunch of notes. (laughs) I mean, so first off, let's go back to the neighbor, Kevin. I mean, what a gift, right? To have that as your neighbor and for him to be willing to kind of mentor you into this. Do you remember any of the other books? You said Rich Dad, Poor Dad was one of those. You know, did he have any other kind of books that you just come to your mind that were like, hey, that was a good one?
0: I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Art of the Deal by Trump. And then, by the way, I'm not a Trump guy for, you know, don't DM me saying like, I love Trump. Uh, I'm not going there. Yeah, just a lot of those like... Main classic real estate investing. Just books. like OG yeah. classic, classic okay. things. But I remember, I'll tell you this. I remember, Andrew, I had finally made the jump and I think he was really proud of me for obviously you know, many people don't leave their W2 job, especially if it's like a high state job with like the best benefits and you get a pension. Sure. And it's like that that like, that like pill that they give you, like the golden handcuffs of like, you just got 10 more years, you have the best insurance, your family gets to stay on the plan. So I feel like a lot of people don't ever leave such a great paying state job. And he saw that I was willing to just take the jump. And we had built such a great relationship that he made me a deal. I remember we were sitting in his sauna and it was like the day before I was leaving. And he was like, look, I have always wanted to invest out of state. I've never had the opportunity. Like all of his units, all of his 650 units are all in New Hampshire. So he's like, I've always wanted to build a portfolio out of state. I just don't trust anybody. And I trust you. You've been taking action. You've been asking the right questions. He's like, look, if you find a deal that makes sense. I'll bring the capital. You do all the work. And we'll figure out a way to split everything out on the back end. So I was like, dude, like, what more
1: do you yeah, want? That's that's the hardest part, right? A lot of guys are they stop there. They're like, I don't know where to find the money, but he's he's right there saying, Hey, I'll support you. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I went and joined the brokerage because I was like, I, I felt like it was almost like daddy's money. Like I didn't want to like be so hung. I was like I want to be self-made. No one in my family had been in the military before and I was proud of being the first one and I just no one had moved like no one had been a state trooper like before in my family so I was like look, I just want to like do this for me and so that's why I joined Marcus and Millichap at first and I remember cold calling and owners telling me like yeah, I would sell for a million and a half, but I'm I'm not listing it with you. Like I'm not doing a listing agreement. And I remember like, just like bringing it to Kevin and being like, dude, this is like a great deal. Or I'd bring it to guys like similar funds like you. And I just wouldn't get my calls returned because I was like a brand new broker. And so I was like, man, I got to leave and and buy these deals myself because I feel like, you know, these are great deals. And so that's where I really learned like the off-market nature of real estate and how crazy it was. But just to give you some context. I remember my first time underwriting a deal, the seller wanted like 2 million bucks and- the a mobile home park deal, right? This is a mobile home park. I'm on the brokerage side. And I'm like looking at the P&L, looking at the rent roll and I'm like, how the hell does this deal make sense at 2 million bucks? Like this seller is smoking, you know what? (laughs) Like there's no way this deal's worth 2 million bucks. And uh, Charles DeHart, who used to be on Kevin Bupp's, he used to be a principal with Kevin Bupp's uh, fund, was the one responsible for really teaching me this. And we remember like looking like there's a, there's a column for like his actuals. And then it was a column for like what we could do with it. It's like, you know, the, the seller who's 70 hasn't raised his rent in 20 years. It was like, we could just bring rents to market and now this deal starts to make sense at $2 million or maybe he's way overpaying for insurance or there's a property management company that just totally, you can run it leaner knowing what you know because you have other assets and other management and you know utility providers already in this specific town. And so that's when I learned how to price in the upside, like the potential of the deal. And I remember that being like a huge, like, like uh-huh. a light like that, like, aha, because mm-hmm. even in the books, they don't really teach you that. Like all these OG books, they're just basically like the clickbait of like passive income and like buy sure. assets, not liabilities. But I think that there. you know, I think that's
1: probably why they don't put that out there is like there's risk. Right. And in mobile home parks, it's more transparent. I think it's like, Hey, there's an 80 lot park. There's 10 vacant lots you know, bring homes in, set them up and sell them. And, you know, you can you know generate rental income, but like in storage, for example, it's more, I don't know, it's more like, Hey, there's, you can start revenue managing. It's a mom and pop facility. You can add revenue management. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I think in mobile home parks, it's a lot more clear. And that's, that's one thing I like about the asset class.
0: Well, even like, I'll say this, like being a broker and now being a principal, we would price the upside in and we'd say, hey, Andrew, you can come in, there's 10 vacant pads, you can bring in homes and then, and bring rents to market. But you have to understand, like what I did not understand as a broker was that that costs money. Yeah. You have to find 10 homes, Yeah, that's pay cash for them. You can't finance these, these homes, right? So 10 homes, let's say you can get them for 10K and then it's another 10K a pop to bring them in that's all cash. You're not financing that. And so you have to understand that this upside comes with a cash suck, like some sort of capital injection. And a lot of times banks aren't gonna finance that. And so you have to have an operator who understands like, when am I gonna get this money back? That's the whole name of investing. Any book, any investor will tell you like, okay, Andrew, I wanna invest with you. I have a high paying W2. I want to test the waters. I know your minimum. I don't know what your minimum is, but let's just say it's hundred K. It's like their first question is likely like, when will I see this back? Or what can I expect? And if you don't know what the business plan is, and by the way, everything looks good on paper. Yeah. We can bring in 10 homes, but What happened in COVID-19 is you can't find these homes and finding used homes and people to move homes, right? And then you also have this huge turnover because mom and pop's rent was 200 bucks and Andrew buys this deal and he thinks he can go to 400 bucks and that looks great on paper. But when you try to raise the rent $200 on somebody in this this specific sector, you're gonna have some turnover, right? And then so now- You know, so now that's... you have to bring in your contractors, turn that home, which costs money, cash to, to to renovate it. Plus, you have vacancy, and if you're using an agent or even onsite staff, there might be a commission associated with getting somebody in. And so now your cash flow is really hurting because because you raised the rent because it looked so good on paper. Uh, year one, two, and three really aren't paying that investor much. It's really more of like, hey, we're going to get this thing stabilized. It's going to be some work. There's going to be some capital with this work. So I think LPs and limited partners need to understand like what's the business plan and understand that everything looks good on paper. I mean, you and I can do what I call spreadsheet manipulation and make any deal look good. Just oh, ch- sure. ch- change the exit yeah. cap down to a four cap. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Refinance is going to be three percent, exactly. Right, and we're seeing that unfold. Guys, that pro forma year four, year two, they went in with this floating debt, not expecting from rates to go from three percent to seven and a half percent, and that really hurts. I mean, there's a lot of people that are underwater. Yeah, negative cash flow, right? Doing no equity, cash. or their their equity is evaporated. There's some people that are just giving the keys back to the bank at this point.
1: Yeah. Have to. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What else do you think is important, Nick, as an LP? Like what should they look out for? If you were going to invest passively into a mobile home park syndication, you know, what would you look out for? What would you want to know? What, what are like the top three most important things?
0: Yeah. The number one thing. And I think like everyone is familiar with like the 80, 20 rule like, 80% of the problem being in 20% of the whatever, like 80% of the traffic is on 20% of the roads and understand that that huge problem. I think that bottleneck, like bar none, is does the general partnership self-manage their assets? I don't think I would ever invest my money with somebody who's utilizing a third party because they're just not, they just don't, the third party doesn't have any skin in the game. Like at five o'clock when, you need to fill this vacancy for your apartments in order to meet your monthly mortgage. You're Andrew, you and I are answering that phone. We're gonna hundred percent close this deal no matter what, right? But the leasing agent who's paid fifteen dollars an hour at five o'clock. They're they're clocking out. Yeah. And I think that's the out.
1: big difference. No, I think that's a really good point. I don't think anybody else on this show has mentioned that. Is like, you know, right now I am posting mobile homes for sale on my personal Facebook on marketplace to sell units because other people's like accounts have gotten banned or whatever, but it's like, there's bar none. And people are like, Andrew, why are you, I thought you had like a lot of units. You have like 3000 units. Why are you listing a mobile home for sale? And you're, they see it on, on my Facebook. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Right. And I think, I think you're exactly right. Like those type of GPs that are like gonna take it and handle it and put in the work, uh, they're just going to have lower margins.
0: Yeah. It's expensive. not even doing what it like. It's not even doing what it takes either. It's, it's doing what is required because I yeah. think there's a significant difference between doing my best and doing like what's no shit required. Yeah. Because I, like managing real estate is so hard, like, and it's glorified by these people with nice hair and nice teeth telling us that we can get passive income in our sleep and, it's, it's really just chaos. It's, it really, it really, there's nothing passive about operating real estate. So if somebody is telling you that it is, you should run really, really hard and fast, right? Yeah. There's it a huge, met, you know, you know, leases, right?
1: These are not, the, the type of affordable housing property management is intense. It's, and what you're doing in midterm rentals, you know, like we were just talking about before we started recording, which I definitely want to touch on. You know, there's a lot of turnover and would would love to kind of hear about what what you did to make sure that, hey, you had good lead supply to overcome that?
0: Yeah. So I guess I'll start to, I found this 20. So obviously going from the brokerage, I learned how to cold call and I learned how to underwrite deals and understand that the upside, hey, because the seller is running it like that doesn't mean that I have to run it like that. And Warren Buffett talks a lot about the intrinsic value, right? Like what's the highest and best use for that property. And by the way, I love RV parks and mobile home parks because I think ultimately they're not the highest and best use for a lot of these lands. And so they cash flow great, the model's outstanding. But in 20 years, you might be approached by a developer that says, Hey, we want to build a shopping mall here. We we want to build the community has grown so much. Right. And so you have like that multiple layer of upside. So I love that about that asset class, by the way, but I found this 26 unit apartment complex in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was direct off market to seller. And they're all, it's very unique property. It's all made up of studio apartments. Mm. So most apartment complexes, as you know, They have a three-bedroom, two-bedroom, one-bedroom, and studio. And that's great because if somebody can't afford a three-bedroom, you can downsell them and say, hey, I know you can't afford a three, but let's put you in a two. You can afford it. And same with the upsell, right? Like, like, I know you were coming in to look for a one-bedroom, but really you're approved for a three-bedroom. Don't you want this office? So you can, like, upsell and downsell people. So being a unique property of all studio apartments, I brought this deal to Kevin and was like, look at this deal, finally a 26 unit. Like this is like a a, a good enough size portfolio. For those of you getting started or or LPs, you always wanna make sure that the deal is big enough to support management. And that's why I think that no one, like your team is not interested in a 20 unit property, unless if you own other stuff directly next door, right? Because you have to be able to afford on-site management and you want the asset to be big enough. So that way you're not the one unclogging toilets, which I did for a while, by the way. Um, but you always want to go in, like, I don't want a job. No one gets into real estate to be a job type of deal. So you want it to be big enough to where you can support onsite management. So anyways, I brought this deal to Kevin and was like, look at this. I found a 26 unit. This is amazing. And he was like, yeah, no, terrible deal. I'm like, terrible deal what do you mean, dude? This is the best location in Wilmington. You don't know Wilmington. You're all the way up in New Hampshire. And he's like, yeah, I could take one sniff of this deal and see that it's all studio apartments and studios are terrible. Mm. I'm like, studios are terrible. I hadn't learned that in any of the books that I read or any podcast, right? I'm like, what do you mean studios are terrible? He's like, well, if I analyze my 650 unit portfolio, studios have the highest amount of turnover. Because naturally us Americans, we get more stuff, Mm. right? We get a pet or we get married or we get a boyfriend or girlfriend and we need to go to a two bedroom and then we go to a two bedroom and then we need a three bedroom. And now we all want to live in these like huge houses. So naturally studios have the highest turnover rate, which the whole name of the game of the real estate for most people know, and that's why parks are so great is the name of the game is to keep the tenant as long as possible because yeah, stickiness us landlords are the one responsible for repainting and turning over these units. And then we have to release them. And so there's vacancy, there's advertising costs. Maybe we're paying commissions to people to release. And so you want the customer to stay for a long time. So studios are not good for, for longevity. Right. But he also said, and I never understood this was studios are the cheapest. So when you have the cheapest, you tend to, attract an avatar. That's really rough. Right. So he was like, no way, dude, no, not a chance, but it was a really nice property. Like it's a class, a brand new construction, like brand new renovated with windows. And like, like when I say full gut, like full gut job, like the brick was painted like a white, like an off white, like it's a really nice deal. And I know the location again, And looking at the location, it was was across the street from this huge hospital, like 850 bed hospital here in Wilmington. And I know living here that the hospital provides care to the surrounding like 25 counties. Wow. So like people, like if you break your arm and you live two hours away, you're driving Mm -hmm. all the way to Wilmington. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that Wilmington also had this huge boom of people migrating due to COVID-19. And the hospitals don't tend to grow to the same level as the population. So a lot of times the hospital is a shit show because the, the, like the wait times in the ER are crazy. Yeah. So I knew that travel nurses had to be somewhere. So I was like, well, where do these traveling nurses stay? Because my studios are right across the street directly next to Starbucks. Like I could throw a softball to Starbucks from my apartment complex And you and I know that Starbucks does these like super extensive studies to see, like, is there enough cars going by? Is can the population afford Starbucks? And so I knew like a lot of people invest near Walmart because Walmart does such these same like studies. So I knew like I had to figure out a way to buy this deal. So going on LinkedIn, LinkedIn has always been my hero. I post on LinkedIn, I'm like, hey, who knows anything about traveling nurses? Because I want to buy this deal where traveling nurses rent to us. So, where do you guys post for your listings? And I got on this call with this guy named Larry, and he's just sold a deal and now he became a limited partner. So, he's like, Oh, I did this. I got the book, I got the playbook. I'll give it to you for free. I was like, Dude, that's awesome. He's like, Go on furnishfinder.com. That's where everybody hangs out. That's where you get all your leads from traveling nurses. He's like, traveling nurses are amazing. He's like, I would buy this nice bedding. They would rip it off, put their own bedding in there because they're health freaks. Like they're great. They're a great avatar to rent to. They don't smoke. They're health conscious people, right? You go to nursing school, you know a lot about science. So I'm like, this is awesome. He's like, dude, let me save you some money. He's like, run a test ad before you even buy it. Mm. And so I did. So I went over, I took pictures of the apartment complex. Posted those pictures unbeknown to the seller on Furnish Finder. I wasn't under contract to buy the seal or anything. And I listed it for rent for $2,200 a month for this 450 square foot studio. Wow. And we got swamped. We were getting 25 inquiries a week, a week on Furnish Finder, people trying to book our property that I didn't even own. And the seller was currently renting these studio apartments for $800 a month. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So it's like, if we can, so, so now I brought it back to Kevin and by the way, every time we get a furniture finder inquiry, I'm like forwarding it to Kevin, like, look at this, look at this. And he's like, yeah. all right, stop. Like, I don't need to see like the 60 actual, yeah. leads every two weeks of for." I get it. The demand is there. This is awesome. He's like, let's, let's do this deal. So that's what we did. We bought uh, 26 units and basically we inherited 12 month leases. So we just told everybody, Hey, look, we're not extending anybody. If you want to break your lease and get out early, we'll let you do that because honestly, this is affordable housing. And we understand that we're taking away affordable housing and we extended a lot of people to try to help them and find them other housing and, and different things. So we then furnished the units and started renting them out one by one. And all we really did was repaint the interior and pay for furniture. And basically we're renting them out $2,000 a month to traveling nurses. And what's really cool too, is we utilize cost segregation. So we paid $3.6 million for this asset. We got $900,000 of depreciation, but we were also able to get some depreciation from all the furniture that we bought. Think about a couch, right? Like you can fully depreciate that. property, right? That's all personal seven-year property. Exactly right. So we were able to cap a ton of depreciation. So for a guy like Kevin, he's like, look, I can put my money that's getting zero dollars in my checking account i can put it into real estate get some return but also you're getting a ton of cash flow from this particular property so it made all the sense in the world for him and for me i'm now self-managing an asset so i had to learn marketing and i can get into that too last winter furnish finder completely shut off like it was like you're taking a shower And all of a sudden the water just like shut off, but you still have like shampoo and soap in your hair. And the vacancies just started stacking up. Like it was one, two, three. And then I had 10 vacancies. So I'm like, I'm like calling Kevin. I'm like, Hey man, like, I just want to get ahead of this. And for those LPs out there, if your GP is getting ahead of problems and clearly communicating that, like that is gold. You need to put more money with them because most people don't tell you it's a problem until it's a real problem. But chances are, if they're a good operator, they could smell it coming. And when you get that smell, you should always try to get ahead. Like, just, just jump on the grenade, right? Like, get on there. And he was like, look, what, what can we do? Like, what other sources can we use? And basically, Furnish Finder got completely dried up. Hmm. Like, no more leads. Everyone figured out about it. And that's that's social media, right? You think about sure. what happened. You know, everybody gets on Facebook. And then if you own a business, you advertise on Facebook. And then the ads used to be like 99 cents. And then now it's like... $200, right? Because sure. they realized that the traffic and it just gets saturated and more expensive and more competitive. And that's essentially what happened. So I learned SEO, search engine optimization. I had a website that my buddy who I played pickleball made, and it was like a great design, but it wasn't optimized. We weren't getting any leads from it. It was kind of just like a brochure, like a magnet of you know our apartment complex. And I learned SEO search engine optimization. And I don't wanna get technical in for the listeners, but it's a really, really powerful strategy to get leads to come to you. So I learned SEO and my website went from zero leads from like 80 leads a month now. So I went from vacancies, like a bunch of vacancies to people basically pounding on my door, trying to get in just from like SEO. And what's really great, and every other LP should know what their customer acquisition cost is, They probably have a W-2 or they at least know a little bit. They probably read Kiyosaki's book, right? Like, where are you getting your tenants, Andrew? Like, can this market that we're considering investing, like, can the tenants support it? Where are they coming from? Where do they work? Mm -hmm. Can this market sustain your pro forma 500 rents that you're thinking that we can get in? And like, what data do you have that will support that? Like, did you run a test ad and found a ton of demand for this? Or we're not sure. And I think that, so- just like learning that I think is, is huge and knowing that customer acquisition costs. And you look at Shark Tank, right? Everyone watches Shark Tank. Like they they always ask, like, what's your customer acquisition cost? And sure. anyone who can go direct to consumer is gonna get a higher valuation because if you're selling on Amazon or you're using if your GP is using apartments.com, Zillow, all these like apartments.com, I just got quoted like 800 dollars a quarter to put on apartments.com. I'm like, I would be out of business if I had to use apartments.com to lease my 26 units. So going to direct consumer and getting this SEO is huge because the other thing too, is like Airbnb, Airbnb gets a 15% fee off the top totally. for putting that deal together. Mobile
1: home, mobile home parks are a little different, you know, cause we don't have all these, like there's the demand for affordable housing is just off the charts, right? You put something on Facebook marketplace and it's just gone within 24 hours to, you know, three different, you know, qualified candidates, but Yeah. I love how you thought out of the box. I mean, what are like your top three pieces of advice for SEO, you know, just based on what you learned?
0: Yeah. So like knowing your core keywords is everything. And it's kind of like, like if you were to go into like a tennis tournament, they're like, well, Andrew, you want to enter this tennis tournament? They're like, what level are you? Are you beginner, intermediate or advanced? And you're like, well, I'm intermediate. And they're like, okay, Andrew, what, what's your age bracket? you're like well I'm 34 and so they like put you in an age bracket and so that's what all these algorithms do is they're basically like Andrew if you type in the browser furnished apartments wilmington nc that's who I want that's my dream customer right perfect customer yeah that's who I want so it's all about creating content out of those core keywords so my buddy who I play pickleball with the top made the banner of my website quietly nestled in trees like is anyone searching that no no so how would google know that i provide furnished apartments for rent in wilmington if yeah. i don't tell them what to do so i changed my headline on my website to be furnished we we provide furnished apartments for rent in wilmington north carolina and then you have the body and you start describing what you do and every website has like a paragraph here and a paragraph here and mm-hmm. basically you want to put those core keywords, furnished apartments, Wilmington, NC, in a way that's not spammy, that flows nice. You want to do it three or four times in each paragraph. And basically, then Google knows, okay, Nick provides furnished apartments in Wilmington, NC. We're going to start testing them. So Andrew, you click on my website and immediately you click out of it. Google's like, that's weird. It must not be the right- What you were looking for. What yeah. you were looking for. And Google is always going to do what's best for them and then what's best for you. And so if that's not what you're looking for, they're like, okay, Andrew, well, let's send you here. And then you spend two minutes on the website looking. Google is like, that's it. That's, mm-hmm. that is the right customer. And then Google, well, Google's first, like, that's interesting. We sent Andrew here, he and spent two minutes on it.
1: Yeah, and so- there. You, Yeah, we'll send yeah, of
0: those. Totally. Yeah. So now it's just like, go get more of these people, right? And yeah. those people are the 34 year olds that are intermediate that are joining this, like, so you're in like a a bracket, but it's kind of like a search, right? And so Google goes out and gets more of that, those 34 year olds that are intermediates that play pickleball. But then you can, there's Google analytics. And so I I noticed that after a minute and a half, people were exiting out of my website. I'm like, "That's, that's really weird. So like, I got a timer and I like started reading my website And then a minute and a half, I realized like, I was getting really boring. And like, we live in the TikTok world where like everything is like moving, like you watch a TikTok video and if it doesn't change a million times, like people don't even watch it, right? Like, so I'm like, oh, I I gotta do something. So, and the biggest question that I had was, what are the, what's the price? And so naturally we didn't post our prices because we wanted to get inquiries. So what I did was at the minute and a half mark in my website, I said, Hey, if you want to check out the prices, click here. Mm-hmm. And so then they click here and they go to another page that I own. And so Google's like, holy cow, ten, we sent 10 people to this website, eight people watched it for a minute and a half. And then all eight people went here and then spent another two minutes and then inquired. So it must be good. We're going to keep recommending this content versus if everybody went to my page and immediately backed out. Tough. They're going to yeah. be like, well, we, we better find somebody, somebody else. Right. That's, and so that's, that's really huge. what SEO was, but it was like huge competitive advantage for me because I can drive traffic to my website for free. Like yeah. hosting a website is like 200 bucks a year. Sure. Yeah. So like, I'm YouTube. not paying $800 a month or whatever the hell apartments.com is. And I think that most property management, real estate companies are just like, Oh, well we got, we get the, gold package at apartments.com and we, we put it on Zillow. And like, so I think that there's like a huge competitive advantage is for people to self-manage their asset, but also utilize SEO to drive those yeah, tenants. And means, and like you're, you're yeah. in a different market, right? Like your dream customer, Andrew is on Facebook. And so that's why you're and posting couple,
1: your, yeah, I have a couple of questions real quick. Cause are running out of time. And I mean, Nick, you're just a wealth of uh, information and golden nuggets. So thank you for, for all of that. You know, what would be your perfect mobile home park, Nick? You know, knowing what you know from your time with Ooh. Glenn and the the Marcus and Millichap guys, what would the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes?
0: Man, your that's mind. my perfect mobile home park would be like those trophy assets that like the REITs are buying like <laughs> three, like basically Sam Zell's portfolio that he put together. I would buy that. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Class A, yeah. people never want to leave, people can afford $700 a month, the tenant owns the home, but uh, I know we live in a different age where a lot of these institutions have gobbled them up. So to answer your question, if I was an LP and I was thinking of, of considering going into investing with Andrew or any other operator for that matter, I would look for public utilities, city water. City sewer. I don't want to deal with septic. These people are going to be flushing tampons and destroying. There's no, you could put a camera on their freaking drainage pipe and they're still going to do it. And you can't get blood out of a rock. So you can't charge back somebody $6,000 for septic. So I would say city water, city sewer is a huge one. I would also say location and demand being somewhere where the tenant can afford. Rent right. If you're projecting, and I think that's an overlooked metric. I think people are like, oh, we're we're just buying in Wilmington, North Carolina because we're buying in Wilmington, North Carolina, and oh, oh, in the assets right next to the hospital. So this is awesome asset because the hospital is never going to move. So this is mm-hmm. perfect asset, and they go out and buy the asset with these huge pro forma rents, and they realize the hospital doesn't pay enough to attract the people that even work at the hospital. Yeah. So it's like you have to have demand. So I would say at least a hundred units. Knowing that uh, public water, public sewer in a good growth MSA, I don't mind the cold states. I think there's opportunities there. Sure, if I'd, I'd rather not pay for plowing, but at the same time you come to North Carolina and you're gonna pay for for tornado and hurricane insurance. So I think there's opportunities out there, but those are the main things that that I would look for size, location, and public utilities. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, those are good points right there. Geez, dude! I think we've we've covered so much. You know, I'm super grateful. I want to make sure I circle back and congratulate you on the birth of your your daughter. Thank that you. Is really awesome, and I want to you know thank you for your service. You know, that's something I'm a big fan of, and I I want to make sure I give you the proper respect for you know the service you you gave to our country. So thank you for that, Nick.
0: I appreciate it, man. I've been following you for a while. And I, I really like that you self-manage your assets and you do a great job on the pod. So I'm just cl- grateful to be here and shout out to all the uh, girl dads on there. The easiest uh, way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I post there all the time. so I respond to all my DMs and would love to connect with with any listener. Again, I, I don't run a fund. I don't have any deals to invest in. This 26 unit that I do own, I actually took it down tenant in common with my partner, Kevin, that I mentioned. So I have nothing to sell you here. Just if you want a good follow. I try to post on there. And like I said, I, I will respond to my DMs. I love connecting with people. I like to walk a lot. So just walking and connecting and with different people and learning about different assets. As you can tell, I immerse myself in anything that I do. So would love to connect with anyone out there and really appreciate you having me on here. Totally, Nick. What's one last bit of advice that you would give an interested passive investor that's looking at investing in mobile home parks? That's tough, man. I would put an exclamation point on make sure your GP is self-managing the deal. But also, um, I've also been known, Andrew, to be a contrarian thinker here. So I would say, be like the bank. Underwrite the deal like the bank. Like the bank, when the bank knows you have to submit your your taxes. Like if I'm investing with Andrew Keel, like I want to know that you're not living in a Lambo with a like. I basically want to see your taxes, Andrew, and I want to know that you're fundamentally a good guy and that I can relate to you. Like I, I trust you. So I would say, be the bank, um, know what LTV, how le- how high leverage they're getting, and and really just understand. The deal that you're investing with and understand what the business plan is because like we talked about everything looks good on paper um but when the rubber meets the road you and I both know there's always going to be hurdles and I want to invest with a guy who I know is scrappy and he's gonna use his Facebook page if the business page gets shut down to list his homes I mean that's that's and when the phone the phone rings at six o'clock I want to know that my GP is going to answer the phone and chances are guys LP's like if you're getting pitched something or thinking about it, you can go look at their assets that they own. Like mm. call that apartment complex at three o'clock and see if they answer. Look at the five-star reviews on that apartment. Look at the deals that they already own. There's a lot of people in the space, man, that are just in the capital raising business. They're not really truly operators. So those are some things. I know you said one thing and I gave you 10. I can't give you one thing.
1: <laughs> it's impossible. No, <laughs> I, I really appreciate it, Nick. Dude, thank you so much for all these golden nuggets. And yeah, thank you for, for
0: coming on. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me.
1: Totally. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please, if you got value out of this show, please leave us a review uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five star reviews by the end of 2021. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five star review of the show.